behind every great design, behind every great collection, there is a narrative. Try to get to know the narrative of that designer. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to You Have to Wear Something. Wow, we're about three years in. I can't believe it. Anyway, it's February 2021, and wow, time is flying. Can we just go back to Michelle Obama's entrance into the inauguration? That burgundy monochromatic Sergio Hudson is still top of mind, along with Amanda Gorman's historic recitation of the hill we climb but as per usual black folks have been putting in that work for fashion from the very beginning so much style starts in the black community and is often ridiculed first i remember professional guidelines in so many jobs i had prohibited long and or decorated nails hair had to be professional meaning straight or pulled back, so basically Eurocentric. Everything is so, so ghetto until it goes down the runway. Zendaya ridiculed for her locks, but Marc Jacobs can send it down the runway. Or braids, or even baby hairs. And I mean, I don't even wear baby hairs. It's just a bit juvenile for me, no shade. But by all means, rock your baby hair. But baby hairs also made it down the runway for Givenchy. Somehow, things deemed ghetto end up in high fashion. Whether it's high fashion or fast fashion, trust. Black people are part of the process somewhere in there. So, in honor of Black History Month, and frankly, every month, let's take it back. Traditional fashion history is often organized by the reign of European monarchs, which, in the case of the Anglophone Academy, often means the British. Georgian round gowns give way to Victorian hoop petticoats that then gave rise to Edwardian walking skirts, and so on. Black contributions to fashion history are hiding in plain sight. It is just that many scholars and curators have not, until recently, taken an interest. Black people continue to be disrespected and ignored by the fashion world, an attitude reflected in fashion magazines and museum collections. Through black models and designers, uh, we're starting starting to become more commonplace in fashion media. These acts of inclusivity amount to nothing less than woke washing. If black people's contributions to the entirety of fashion history continues to be ignored. The genesis of the fashion industry lies in the unpaid labor of enslaved people who cultivated the raw materials to make textiles and help to manufacture garments. At the same time, enslaved people also consumed fashion items and in the process became trendsetters. So I hope you are ready for these facts. Seamstress Elizabeth Keckley used fashion to buy her freedom from slavery. Keckley's fine design skills won her a number of wealthy clients who loaned her money to secure her and her son's freedom. Once free, she moved to Washington, D.C. That's where Keckley could carve out a reputation for designing the most elegant dresses. 
This led to her getting introduced to First Lady Mary Todd Lincoln and subsequently designing all of the First Lady's dresses. Keckley became head of the Department of Sewing and Domestic Science Arts at Wilberforce University in 1892. You can find her influential designs today at the Smithsonian's American History Museum. Now, before she was Jackie O, Jacqueline Bouvier married JFK in an ivory silk wedding dress designed by a black woman, Anne Lowe. Anne Lowe's gowns in Harlem became the go-to place for the highest of high society, the Rockefellers, the Roosevelts, and the DuPonts. If you don't recognize these dynastic family names, hit your mama Googles. She was called society's best kept secret. Lowe was highly selective with her clientele. I love my clothes and I'm particular about who wears them. Before there was Will Smith, let's talk about Willie Smith, the streetwear pioneer. So you love fear of God and off-white, right? Well, children, everything comes from somewhere. After dropping out of Parsons, Smith began designing for Digits Sportswear, where he met Lori Mallet. In 1976, he founded his own line, Williwear, which was a brand she would see everyone wearing on the street. Known for his reasonably priced pieces, Smith didn't design clothes for the queen, but rather clothes for the people that lined up to wave at her. Now, I like to know where stuff comes from, where details come from. Stephen Burroughs created what he calls a lettuce trim or a hem. You've seen it many, many times in a, in a skirt where the end ruffles, they kind of ruffle up in a way, just like lettuce. Back to his story. Stephen Burroughs was taught to sew by his grandmother. By 1969, Burroughs had opened Old Boutique, and he then started his own ready-to-wear collection. The opening of the Stephen Burroughs Boutique at the iconic Henry Bendel's catapulted his career. The collection was bright, colorful, very disco, and was worn by Diana Ross, Cher, and the glittering Studio 54 nightlife crowd. Now, similar to black artists like Josephine Baker and James Baldwin, sometimes black people just need to go to Paris to lean into their creativity. In the case of Patrick Kelly, he was the first American designer accepted into the Chambre Syndicale du Prêt-à-Porter in Paris, basically a prestigious French ready-to-wear association. He was a window dresser, at the Yves Saint Laurent Rive Gauche Boutique in Atlanta, but in Paris, he was fortunate to receive sponsorship. Remember, there's no internet, so you need people to vouch for you to get in. So he was sponsored by Sonia Raquel and Pierre Berger, co-founder of Yves Saint Laurent. Full circle moment. And I love white folks using their privilege for good. More of that, y'all. More mentorship and less gatekeeping, please, and thank you. Kelly's pieces were beloved by Grace Jones, Madonna, Princess Diana, and the list goes on. Way, way ahead of his time, Kelly saw inclusiveness in the clothes he designed, telling People Magazine in 1987, I design for fat women, skinny women, all kinds of women. My message is, you are beautiful just the way you are. At his March 1987 show, one of his models were eight months pregnant. Kelly died on New Year's Day 1990 due to complications of AIDS at the height of his career. At Kelly's memorial service, his friend and client Gloria Steinem concluded her remarks by saying, instead of dividing us with gold and jewels, he unified us with buttons and bows. 
I'm going to pause for now, but I'll be back to talk more about the history and Black contributions that still go unnoticed in fashion. If you want to help those suffering in Texas right now, my charity of choice that makes sure relief actually gets to the underserved is Angel by Nature and the Relief Gang. I repeat, Angel by Nature is providing actual relief to Texans. And until next time, peace. Welcome back, y'all. I'm back from my pause. And apparently, I do not know how to use my microphone properly. Um, And now the infamous LA helicopters are overhead going crazy, looking for somebody. And my neighbors were super loud today. So today was just a, a loud day. And I apologize for being so loud on the last section. But I want to continue my history lessons because, again, everything comes from somewhere and Black people play a major role in the fashion ecosystem at every level, but not at the C-suite levels. But anyway, now, by now, you should all know Daniel Day. No, never heard of Daniel Day? Yes, I mean Dapper Dan a Harlem couturier known as the king of knockoffs, which I hate because he made original designs out of monogram fabric. A knockoff or a bootleg is an exact replica and that's not what he did in any way. Monogrammed everything used to be ghetto too. And now that Billie Eilish repeatedly rocked it on Insta or TikTok in a post-prison pose, it's high fashion. Glad that Gucci recognized his innovation and partnered with this icon. Better late than never. Andre Walker, he staged his first fashion show at only 15 years old. In the 80s, Walker worked for Willie Wear, the industry powerhouse Willie Smith's label. He left New York in the 90s and also moved to Paris where he made a name for himself. Remember, it's sometimes more supportive of the creative process to just go to Paris. And in 2000, he won the Andam Fashion Fellowship, France's version of the CFDA award. Five years later, he decided to close shop and move back to New York. And after shuttering his personal label, Walker served as creative consultant to Kim Jones, as well as Marc Jacobs for his own line and for Louis Vuitton to this day. Before every celebrity had a clothing line and a skincare line, there was Sean John by Sean P. Diddy Combs. Combs launched at the height of his career in 1998 using his celebrity status to change the industry. He noted, we wanted to give them extremely multicultural and diverse fashion. We brought them fashiontainment. Combs ran a celebrity-driven label before it was the norm. This was the pre-Instagram era. A master marketer who disrupted the industry, Diddy made TV appearances wearing Sean John and used the tabloids to his advantage. In 2001, Sean John held the first nationally televised runway show. The industry rolled their eyes when a rapper wanted to be a designer, but fast forward six years later, and Combs was the recipient of the CFDA's Menswear Designer of the Year Award. 
Over 20 years later, Sean John still racks up over $400 million in annual sales. Along with his contemporaries, late 90s was a good moment in Black-owned streetwear for a minute with FUBU, Cross Colors, and Carl Kanai, but Sean Combs is the blueprint for the celebrity-driven labels that followed. Joe Casely Hayford, I think that's how he says the middle part, was known as one of the most talented designers of his generation. He shaped an aesthetic and broke boundaries by fusing Savile Row tailoring with East End streetwear. His work helped shape a new kind of British culture and international style for the 21st century. Fun fact, Joe Casey Hayford was the brother of Gus Casey Hayford, who was the director of the Smithsonian and National Museum of African Art in Washington, DC. That is one of the first places I want to visit post-pandemic. He debuted his first label kit in 1984 using surplus World War II tents to make sportswear. With Kit, he developed a style identified as new conservative dressing or a classic with a twist. He was a favorite with Bono and Michael Jackson. I didn't even know Tracy Reese was black and many other people didn't know that either. Y'all know what I mean. Sometimes you get the interview because you have the white sounding name, let's be honest. But anyway, Tracy Reese is an American designer who is known for rich, daring colors and unique prints that are crafted into joyful, feminine pieces for the modern woman. After graduating from Parsons in 1984, Tracy Reese worked for many, many top fashion houses, including Martine Sivon, and later on she went to Perry Ellis. It was a job she got when Marc Jacobs took her with him. Again, allyship people, hello, hello, open the gate. I mean, Pretty much we have all crossed paths with Tracy Reese at some point or saw Sarah Jessica Parker in it on Sex in the City. Her business continues with the sustainable capsule collection Hope, sold through anthropology. Okay, so we all know about men, right? No? Well, born and raised in Bordeaux, France, Olivier Roustan moved to Paris to attend École Supérieure des Arts et Techniques de la Mode. Just love saying that, obviously. Roustan began his career designing at Roberto Cavalli, eventually becoming creative director of the women's wear division. After five years at Cavalli, Roustan moved on to work as a women's ready-to-wear designer for Balmain. He worked closely with Christophe Descarnan, the brand's creative director, and replaced him in 2011. Having grown up in the age of Instagram, Roustan proved that his youth was his best asset by catering to the digital generation with his social media engagement. Rustan was one of the pioneers of Instagram marketing with his Balmain army of influencers dressed in the brand's signature military style. Balmain has had themed Snapchat filters, a personalized app, and a digital flagship store. Rustan says his age, initial anonymity, and especially race led to grumblings among the fashion establishment. People were like, Oh my God, he's a minority taking over a French house. Olivier is adopted and previous, previously believed he was of mixed race, but in 2019, he discovered that his birth mother is Somali and his birth father, Ethiopian. And that means all blackity black, black, black. So congrats to him. In 1994, Oswald Boateng was the first tailor to have a show during Paris Fashion Week. He then opened a boutique on the famed Savile Row in 1995. 
Botain's contemporary approach to menswear design helped him to forge a new appreciation for Savile Row and draw in a younger demographic. To this day, it remains the only Black-owned store on Savile Row and designs for many celebs, especially a list of Black men like Will Smith, Don Cheeto, and Lawrence Fishburne. Stella Jean was raised in Rome by a Haitian mother and an Italian father at a time when the country was completely unprepared for multicultural families. People constantly stopped her on the street and they pointed at her and her family. Jean won Vogue's Italy Who Was On Next competition in 2011 and in 2014, Giorgio Armani showcased Stella Jean's collection at the Armani Theater in Milan. And she was the first women's wear designer to present in this iconic space. Now when you see pictures of her, and I'm telling you, she is a dead ringer for a Beyonce, I swear it hit your Googles. Very, very Beyonce-ish. She also collaborated with Christian Louboutin on a shoe collection. So congrats to her. Patrick Robinson. Oh my God, I I saw this guy on the street in New York. I didn't know who he was, but I recognized his face because I read too much Vogue at the time. And I took his photo. Now I know who he is. Patrick Robinson made garments to sell to his friends while he was still in high school. After graduating from Parsons, he moved to Paris and worked as a design assistant to Patrick Kelly. Remember Patrick Kelly? Shortly thereafter, Robinson became the designer, um, the design director for Giorgio Armani in Milan. In 1994, he moved back to New York and became senior vice president of design, merchandising, and marketing for Anne Klein. This is like the beginning of getting a seat at the table, especially in the 90s. After spending his career working for other people, he started his own label in 1996. Um, it was a success. And he also became creative director for Perry Ellis and the art director for Paco Rabanne and head designer for The Gap. He was busy, y'all. And he now designs a sustainable clothing line called Pashko, P-A-S-H-K-O. Haitian born, Victor Glamour was raised in New York City, where he attended FIT. An intern for Patrick Robinson turned into an assistant designer position. After graduation, Glamour worked as a fashion publicist. When he moved to Paris for his job, his mentor Robinson was there as art director for Paco Rabanne. So again, when we get a seat, we bring people with us if we're doing a good thing and we're leaving the door open. We're making sure that the gate is open. No gatekeeping, y'all. The timing was perfect. Glamour went back to work with Robinson and was appointed the studio director for Paco Rabanne. Three years later, he started his own collection And then he realized he had a a very lucrative business on his hands. So he moved back to New York and then eventually worked as style director for Tommy Hilfiger. He stopped designing altogether, but we're hoping after all of his travels and he clear his head and gets new inspiration, he will come back. He's been doing a few colorful knit sweaters here and there. Born and raised in Queens, Laquan Smith, love Laquan Smith so much, has been making clothes since he was a teenager. At 13, he inherited his first sewing machine from his grandmother when she passed away. He was rejected from FIT and Parsons, so some lovely gatekeeping there, but Smith didn't let that stop him. His break into the industry was an internship with Black Book Magazine and through stylist Elizabeth Solcer, want to recognize allyship there. His new job gave him access to events and parties where he became his own walking advertisement 
Smith would sport his own design and give away free clothes in order to make a name for himself. At 21, he presented his first collection. Um, Andre Leon Talley came to his first presentation and so did P. Diddy's mom. Um, since his first collection, Smith's brand has soared with a high profile clientele that includes Beyonce, Rihanna, and Lady Gaga. And he also has a major partnership with ASOS and a collaboration with Revolve. So it's a happy ending there. You know, I love this guy too. I've mentioned him many, many times before, but it almost didn't make it. His brand, that is. Kirby Jean Raymond, who I like to call Kirby Jean Raymond, is the founder and creative director for Pierre Moss. Love Pierre Moss. Um, he attended the High School of Fashion Industries in New York, where he interned for Marquesa and Theory. He began his design career freelancing for Marc Jacobs, Bagley Mishka, Kenneth Cole, and Theory, and went on to design his own label, Pure Moss, in 2013. So he's been putting in work for a really long time. The brand skyrocketed into the public eye um, in 2016. His whole show was about police brutality. It referenced the Black Lives Matter movement through use of video, street art, and fashion. Um, but that almost bankrupted him after he did that show. Um, a lot of retailers canceled the collection. It was too political. It was too divisive. Um, it isn't. It's a human rights issue. Racism shouldn't be de uh, divisive. Uh, black lives do matter. And that's on period. Um, but anyway, he has since come out of it. And since 2018, he has had a major collab with Reebok called Reebok by Pierre Moss. Um, he was also nominated for a CFDA. And he also won a CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund in 2018. 2002, Telfar Clemens. Now, you may know the bag, but you may not know the name. He moved to New York to pursue a modeling career, which led him to create his own collection of deconstructed vintage clothes in 2003. He then started his brand in 2005 as an undergraduate at Pace University. At the time, many of his friends dressed in ways that crossed gender lines. So these are things we're still uncomfortable with today. Use people's preferred pronouns, please. And this is also why he made his label Telfar unisex. Telfar's slogan describes the brand's mass appeal. It's not for you, it's for everyone. Clemens is inspired by people he sees on the street. In 2017, Clemens won the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund Award, choosing to invest that money into production for what would become his signature piece, the Telfar shopping bag, which comes in three sizes. It's the brand's best-selling item. It is called the Bushwick Birkin, and the reasonable price has attracted global recognition. So, you know, if you've seen the leather bag with the T on it, you don't know what it is, that's who it is. The industry newcomer making waves, Christopher John Rogers, has been named one to watch by many. Robin Givon put it perfectly. His work is boisterous, deafening, and dramatic. Sometimes it's extraordinarily proudly gaudy. He is the fashion industry's latest obsession. The recent graduate from the Savannah College of Art and Design has a lot of accomplishments under his belt. In 2019, he won the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund Award and has been um, named on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. He has also dressed some impressive figures, no big deal, Michelle Obama, Lizzo, Rihanna, and Cardi B. And now it's finally time to circle back to my forever Flotus's look by Sergio Hudson. Sergio was born in the mid-80s. I love that it's ambiguous, like not going to tell his age. He always had a broad perspective of rock and roll, fashion, admiring icons such as Gianna Versace and Grace Jones. 
At a young age, it was evident that he was destined for a career in fashion. After attending design school, Hudson's career shifted into overdrive when he was chosen as a contest contestant on Bravo's uh, Style to Rock. The fashion-based docuseries allowed him the opportunity to work with celebrities, including Miley Cyrus, Kelly Osbourne, and Pharrell Williams. Hudson advanced throughout the competition, eventually becoming the winner. And his designs were worn and chosen by singer and fashion icon, Rihanna. And there are so many more amazing black stylists, influencers, change agents, uh, writers like Robin Gavon, who I mentioned earlier, who is still the only woman, and she is a black woman, to win a Pulitzer Prize uh, for fashion journalism. Um, and I just want to acknowledge a few people, but for now, I'll put a lid on it. And that was Black History in the category of fashion. Thank you for listening to You Have to Wear Something. Until next time, as I always say, peace.